been preaching through the book of Matthew, and I'm in the ninth chapter this morning, and we're going to begin reading with verse 9 of Matthew chapter 9. How many of you like preaching through the Bible? I, I enjoy going through the Bible. It makes me learn, it makes me study, and it, it, it increases my faith, it excites me just in an amazing way as you learn the scriptures. And, you know, so many times when you read your Bible and you're not studying it, you just kind of pick and choose. But when you go verse by verse, there's no picking and choosing. You just have to go even to the parts that you don't like. You got to eat your spinach. Amen. You got to eat your okra. Amen. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read down to verse 17. This is a fun part of the scripture of chapter 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of customs. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus said at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth which why does your master eateth with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, how I many know Jesus always hears that? Remember when you're talking, Jesus hears that. I don't always hear that, but Jesus always hears that. Whatever that is, Jesus hears. And when he heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Then came him, the disciples of John the Baptist, saying, Why do ye, or why do we, as John the Baptist's disciples are saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. Then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles. Else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine in new bottles, and that both are preserved. I want to use for a subject, looking at that verse 9, Matthew quit his job. You may be seated. Now, I'm not suggesting anything. I just needed a title. Because there is so much in this that we can learn. This is a fantastic ministry that Jesus Christ is moving upon Matthew. Verse 9 and 10 says that Jesus came to where Matthew was. Now, this is in Capernaum. 
And then Capernaum was a city where all the other cities came through. It was a transit area, a very multi-populated area. And so it was a good place for the IRS to sit at a table, the tax collector. Matthews is a tax collector. Mark and Luke, Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5 tells us that Matthew was a Levi. Mark chapter 2 says that Matthew was a Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Did you know that James the Less was also the son of Alphaeus? But I don't know if it's the same Alphaeus. I always get concerned when they ask me my name at the Taco Bell or McDonald's or wherever, and I say James, because there's probably 10 Jameses in that lobby waiting for their food. And I always wonder if I'm going to get stampeded on the way to the counter, thinking that this James has got it. And then I find out I'm just James the Less. But James the Less, his father was Alphaeus. And that doesn't mean that, that um, Matthew and, and James were brothers, that they had the same father. Could be, but maybe not. But we know, do know by the second chapter of Mark and the fifth chapter of Luke that Matthew had the name Levi. Now, whether he just had the name Levi or whether he was of the tribe of Levi, I don't know. They, they tended to name names after their tribe. So that's up in the air too. We don't know for sure. But we know for sure that he had a name, Matthew Levi. Now, some of you have names, more than one. I have a first name, a middle name, and a last name. I have other names that I'm not going to tell you they are. Judy has names for me. And I have names for her. And I'm not telling you any of them. But Matthew is his name. He's a tax collector. He's a, he's a Levi. He's a Jewish person that is working for Rome. And because he's working for Rome, Matthew and Luke, Matthew two, uh, Luke, uh, Mark 2, rather, and Luke 5, says that he was a publican. Not a Republican, a publican. Now, publicans in the Bible were money-guzzling, cheating, aggressive thieveries. Kind of like politicians. But anyway, but they despised, the Jewish people despised Matthew because he had sold out to collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. Now, verse 9 and 10 you can just imagine how many undesirable buddies that Matthew had. Birds of the feather flocked together. And Matthew probably had a lot of other tax collectors that were his buddies. And I'm sure that there was a lot of people that he had influence over because he ran with a different crowd. I'd like to have that different crowd under the tent this coming week. I'd like to see that different crowd gather in the house of Ozark Full Gospel Church because God loves the publicans and the sinners. 
Jesus is a physician, and they that are whole don't need a physician. They just celebrate and enjoy the physician, but they that are sick need a doctor. I've often said that when you come to church, it's just a place where a bunch of sickos get together, and that's probably true. We all have our moments during the week. We all have our troubles during the week. And verse 9 and 10 talks about Matthew being called on by Jesus to follow him. Matthew could probably say, I was just sitting there gathering money. And walks up Jesus and he says, you look like someone that needs to follow me. Amen? That's kind of how the Lord did me. He looked at me and said, you know, you look like someone that needs to follow me. And I did. And the Lord changed my life. Matthew was so powerfully stricken with power and the love of God that he quit his job. He didn't give two weeks notice. He didn't give an hour notice. He just stood up from his desk and walked away and followed Jesus. No two-week notice, no day notice, not tomorrow, right now, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I want to say to everybody in this room, don't you be telling yourself, well, I'm going to follow Jesus sometime. Now! Well, I'm going to get my ducks in a row. You'll never get there. The quack, quack has you overcome. All your ducks are not going to be in a row. But you got to come and follow Jesus. And Matthew went and followed Jesus Christ. You find three things here. He followed, follow, fellowship, and feasting on God's love. That's what he did. He got up from his table. He followed Jesus, fellowship with Jesus, and began feasting on God's love. I love that, don't you? Someone said, well, what does fellowship mean? Well, fellowship is just two fellows in a ship together. Hello. And the two fellows in the ship together was Jesus and Matthew. I can't begin to imagine what Peter thought of Matthew or what James and John thought of Matthew. Because you see, one of the heavy taxes in that day was on fish. And Capernaum was a fish place where they, they harvest fish and sold in the Capernaum area. And I can just imagine what Peter, James, and John thought when Jesus Christ said to that tax collector, follow me. And I could hear Peter say to James and John, he, boy, he's got a lot of money out of me. And James and John says, yeah, he's not worth shooting. And Jesus said, Come and follow me. And Peter and James probably had to say to each other, we're not worth shooting either. Amen? We're on the same boat together. Quit looking at other people and finding fault. Quit looking at other people and say, well, you know, they got a problem. Well, so do you. You got a spiritual wart right there. Let me say that again. You got a spiritual wart right there. I meet people in the foyer and they've got a complaint and I just, all I can see was this big ward on their nose. 
Spiritual wart. And, I'm th- and, and, and if I grin real big and about laugh, you'll know what I'm looking at. Your spiritual wart. Don't be talking about people. Don't find fault with others because you've got enough fault of your own. Amen. And so, I love this. Matthew gets saved. And Luke chapter 5 says that Matthew put on a big party, put on a big meal. Because it says in verse 11 and 12 that the Pharisees saw them eating. Verse 10 says that he had meat in his house. They had a big dinner. And the Pharisees saw it and said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But Jesus heard that and said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that, what that meaneth, and I will have, that I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now I want you to understand that in Luke chapter 5, Luke talks about a great deal that it was an incredible meal. And Matthew had a lot of undesirables in his life. But he came out of the tax racket. He follows Jesus Christ. And Matthew says, you know, I think I'm going to have a celebration. I mean, I quit my job. It's time to celebrate. So Matthew says, you know what? I think I'll call all the other tax collectors together. And I'll get all the sinners that I know together. And we'll get together and we'll have a big meal and we'll celebrate Jesus Christ. And I will introduce Jesus Christ to all my tax-getting friends. I'll introduce Jesus Christ to all the sinners that come out to the dinner. They'll have to listen to me because I paid for the food. I'll feed them real good, and then when I'm done, I'll fe- I'll, I'll, they'll leave fed up for sure. And so Matthew, I believe, stands up and tells them that he had given his life to Jesus Christ. He came to follow, he came to fellowship, and he came to feast. He went into feasting. Feasting on God's love. Now, my friends, you can't really feast on God's love until you have company. Feasting on God's love is good, but who wants to sit in the closet and have, you know, steak and potatoes? If I'm going to have a steak and potatoes, I want others around the table that will, you know, take the, the check at the end. What, what good is to have a big buffet and you're sitting out there and you're just by yourself at a table? I love love feast. And the Bible says that we get together in Jesus' name. And Paul said we are not to neglect the feast. And when he refers to feast, he's not referring to the Feast of Tabernacles because that's a Jewish holiday, a Jewish observance. When he says let us observe the feast in Corinthians, he's not referring to a Jewish feast. He's referring to a Christian feast where we get together and we celebrate the bigness and the love and the power of our God. This morning is a feast day. 
We're feasting on God's Word. Amen. And we're going for it. Judy has some chickens, and she has heavy on the S, chickens. And if you throw a piece of bread out there, the chickens come, and one gets the prize. And the others drag that other chicken down to get a bite. Well, we're not supposed to be like that in church, but when a piece of bread from God's Word comes out, we need to peck it quick. Go after it quick. Amen. I got so tickled. One of them little baby chickens ran down a June bug. And let me tell you, friends, there's not a safe bug in my backyard. One flies through there, boom, they got it. I couldn't believe a big old June bug as big as my thumbnail, a little old bitty chicken, not much taller than that, nailed that June bug and ran across the yard to keep someone from getting it away from him. And before he got to the other end of the yard, he had done scoffed that sucker down. Hello. And that's the way we ought to be, not June bugs, the Word of God. We ought to grab it and take it down. And take that good word of God and enjoy the blessings of the Lord. Amen. And so they're celebrating. They're having a good time. They're having a meal. And the Pharisee said, "Uh, your master's eating with sinners and publicans. They said, what are they doing? What is your master? What is Jesus doing eating with this Matthew and these other people that are sinners? And when Jesus heard that, He corrected them and he said, look, they that are whole don't need a doctor, but those that are sick need a physician. And that brings me to my second thought. Notice it says in verse 13, after he said, the sick need a physician. In verse 13, he says, go ye and learn that, what that meaneth. I love that. Go learn what that means. He's speaking to the scribes. He's speaking to the the Pharisees. He says, but go and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus Christ was bringing him to a verse in Hosea. Chapter 6, verse 6. He's saying, go study. Go learn your Bible. For I desired mercy, verse 6 of Hosea, and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. It's interesting that Jesus chose a verse from Hosea, because it was Hosea that had a prostitute wife. And God kept telling Hosea, don't you give up on her. You keep forgiving her as a picture of God desiring mercy and not judgment. And so he tells those Pharisees, those scribes, after they said, well, he eats with sinners and publicans, and Jesus hears it and says, well, look, I'm a doctor. I came here to take care of sick people. You don't think you're sick, so go on. Go on, go on, go on. Go read your Bible. You don't think you're sick, so go, go, go learn. I love this phrase. I love this phrase where he said, But go ye and learn what that meaneth, that God has mercy. Go learn your Bible. 
And those scribes and Pharisees kind of have this attitude. We don't learn, we teach. That's one of the big problems in churches today with preachers. They don't learn, they teach. That's one of the big problems with Christians in the church today. They don't learn, they just want to teach. And everybody just wants to teach and be an authority. But let me tell you, there's not a one of us don't need to go back to this book, eat it, digest it, learn it, grow, and believe it, and trust God. I love studying the Bible, and and I don't want to ever have the attitude, well, I don't learn, I just teach. The minute you get that philosophy, I don't learn, I just teach. I, I don't need to be learning anything. I know it all. The minute you get there, the, the church or whoever, the, the teachers in, uh, trying to teach other people are in dire, desperate need of hearing the truth of God's word. And, and Jesus Christ said to these scribes, these Pharisees, you go and learn what it means. You go and read your Bible. You go to Isaiah 6, 6, or Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. You go and you learn that God's a good God. You go and you learn that God wants to forgive. You go and you learn that God so loved the world, he's going to give a Messiah. You go and you learn that God is a good, merciful, kind, and gentle awesome God. You go and learn to quit pounding people down and start lifting people up in the majesty of the name of Jesus Christ. You go and you learn. You go and you learn. And you go and you learn. You don't learn, you don't learn so much wrath and judgment and criticism. You go and you learn mercy. You go and you learn forgiveness. You go and you learn Jesus Christ. Hello? You go and you learn that yes, sin is dreadful, and yes, sin, the wages of sin is dead, and yes, sin will drive you to a devil's hell, and yes, there's the wrath of God coming, but you go and you learn that this book is about Jesus Christ, Messiah, you go and you learn, for in the scriptures you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. They're in John chapter six, and Jesus Christ is telling these Pharisees, you need to go back to your Bible, learn that God has a merciful plan and a forgiveness for his people. Oh, we don't learn, we teach. Well, I don't want to sit in a church like that. I don't want to sit, anybody, sit under anyone like that. We need to be teachable people. We need to be Bible-stirred people. And we need to learn to quit being so critical of others because God is a merciful God. In fact, God's the only one that has the right to criticize anybody in this room. Who are you that would criticize another man's servant? What Paul said. Do we need to understand that it's easy to sit on our lofty perch and crow about how good we are and fail to understand that there's some little peeps down in the yard, some little people that are trying and they're desperately trying. I contend that the little person's up on the perch and the big people's down below seeking and wanting to hear the love of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. 
So you go and learn that God's an awesome God. You go and learn that I'm the Messiah. You go and learn that God wants mercy, not your ritual religion. All that ritual religion, the doves and the lambs, all that was pointing to Jesus Christ, and it's time for a change. Amen? i never seen so many people in church trying to drag the church back in to the Old Testament. The only thing I want out of the Old Testament is my Jesus, and I began breathing there. I love the stories in the Old Testament, all pointing to Jesus Christ. But I am saturated with the blood-soaked life blood of Jesus Christ in the New Testament of this covenant. Go back and learn mercy. Go back and learn forgiveness. Some of you need to go back and learn to forgive yourself and understand that God has forgiven you. Amen? Hello? Now, here's an easy one, verse 14 and 15. This is the easy one. First, there's fellowship. or First, you follow fellowship and feasting on God's love. Second, you go learn your Bible. You learn about Jesus. Learn about his grace. Thirdly, look at verse 14 and 15. I'm going to read it again because it's important you get the context of this. Then after the meal, after the big dinner, who wants to talk about fasting? I tell you who wants to talk about fasting, the disciples of John that was probably fasting that day. And they were very hungry. And so the disciples of John say to Jesus, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But thy disciples fast not. <laughs> They've been eating. I'm sure the one that asked this question probably wasn't eating. Probably fasting. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. Now, i got some good news and bad news. This is an easy answer to this question. Why do we, John the Baptist's disciples, why do we and the Pharisees fast and the disciples of Jesus don't? Easy answer. And the answer is so easy because all we need to understand is the ministry of the Pharisees and John the Baptist and his disciples. The Pharisees, the scribes, were predicting the coming of a Messiah. John the Baptist was preaching, there comes one, he's coming. I, I'm going to baptize you with water under repentance, but there's coming one that's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So the Pharisees are preaching he's coming. John the Baptist and his disciples are preaching he's coming. But the disciples of Jesus Christ says he's here. Easy answer. He's here. Woo! We're going to eat and feast and we celebrate because we're with Jesus. And that gives me the title of this one little clip. Easy come and easy goes away. Easy come and easy goes away. Now let me express something to you that's very important. 
Jesus Christ said, can the children or the best friends of the bridegroom, the bridegroom celebrating, the, the children that's going to give their life to Christ, they're celebrating because they know he's here. They know Jesus has come. They know who Jesus is. The revelation has come. They believe on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is setting up a church. He's setting up a bride. And so they're celebrating because Jesus is walking with them. They're celebrating because Jesus is blessing them and and nurturing them and, and helping them. Let me say this real quickly. Geographically and literally, Jesus was in the presence of them. Don't miss that. Physically and geographically, he was in the presence of the disciples. While he was there, there was no need to fast. While he was there, the friends of the bridegroom, those that are preparing to serve the Lord and be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, they have no need to fast because the bridegroom is with them. Once again, John the Baptist's disciples preach he's coming, but the disciples of Jesus says he's here and we're with him. And Jesus Christ says that's the reason they're not fasting because they're with me. They're celebrating the lame leaping for joy. They're celebrating the blind seeing again. They're celebrating the dead rising from the grave. They're celebrating the lame walking. They're celebrating the good news of God. They're celebrating because I am geographically and physically and literally with them. And they have no need that they fast. The others, John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees, they are still fasting because they're waiting for him to come. Easy come. Easy go away. Notice what Jesus said in the last part of verse 15. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them and they shall fast. See, you thought you were going to get out of that fasting stuff. Well, he went away. And he's not geographically and physically with us today. He's with us in our heart. He's with us in the gospel, but he hasn't returned yet. And we're waiting on his return. And while we're waiting on his return, we may need to do some fasting because life's hard. We may need to do some fasting for our lost loved ones because life's hard. I'm going to say something that's real heavy here, but you hear me and you listen. When someone first gets saved, they first give their heart to Jesus Christ. There is a blanket of grace over them. And if someone gives their heart to Jesus Christ or thinks they did, someone thinks they get saved, if it's too hard, then they're trying to believe Jesus in the flesh. When someone gets truly born again, it's first easy because of the divine nature. As babes in Christ, babes, babies have it pretty good, apart from a little gas once in a while. Babies have it pretty good. They're spoon-fed. They're cleaned up. They're blessed. They're, everybody watches over them, and they all think you're cute when you're a baby. Right? Hello. But you've got to remember, babies are like mice. They do grow up. They're not as cute when they get older. He said, mine's beautiful. Well, you're not seeing them through my eyes. But anyway, 
But easy come, easy go. See, when someone gives their heart to Jesus Christ, if they say, well, I did. I put my trust in Jesus. I decided to go to church. I decided to live for God. But it's so hard to go to church. It's so hard to serve God. It's so hard to read my Bible. It's so hard to work, love for God. The problem you have is you probably never got saved yet. Because when you get saved, you become a newborn baby in Christ and you have a hunger for the sincere milk of the word. You have an appetite for Jesus Christ and God has put over you grace. After that honeymoon period's over, then you go, whoo, man, I was on cloud nine earlier. Excuse me, cloud Jesus. I was having a good time. Now something's falling apart. My world's crumbling in on me. I know I'm a Christian. It was so good at first, but now I'm not like I was. I, I, I'm struggling now. Yeah, the blanket of grace been lifted a little bit at a time until now God says, grow up. Learn to pray. Learn to study your word. Learn to love God and learn to fast. Amen? Now, some people say, well, you can fast different things. You can fast your phone. You can fast your television. You can fast your internet. Well, honestly, you can do that, and I see nothing wrong with that. But when you look at Old Testament fasting, it's not about fasting your camel ride. It's not about fasting your chariot. It's about not eating food. And did you know we're only told in one place in Leviticus that we're to fast? There's only one commandment that we're to fast, the Day of Atonement. We're to fast to, to um, discipline, fast to, to uh, I call it torment our soul. Uh, we fast in order to make our soul and, and I mean, no, when you don't get to eat, your soul is definitely, definitely tortured. At least mine is. Nothing tortures a person more than not getting to eat. I don't know why they call fasting fast. It's so slow. I can decide to fast today, and I'll be hungry before I'm through preaching. I can eat a big meal at El Charles and eat everything on my plate, be so stuffed that I can barely move, and I can just think fasting and decide I'm going to fast, and I'm going to be starving to death before I get out the door. We're only told in one place in the Old Testament, Leviticus, we are to fast, and that was the dead told me, and we are to fast to discipline or to bring uh, sacrifice into our soul, to bring discipline into our soul. The scribes and the fairies come along and made it a weekly thing, two times a week. Scribes and fairies come along. And I'm not saying that's wrong. John the Baptist's disciples did fast too. But I want you to understand there comes a time when that blanket of grace is lift. And as a Christian, Christians are not immune to bad days. Christians are not immune to tragedy. Are you hearing me? And one reason God kind of protects the new convert from tragedy, 
Because he wants them to get strong enough that they can handle it. Now, the other day, I was watching someone, and they were, they were riding their bike, and they had a little baby on their side holding a little baby like that. That baby wasn't even two years old yet, just holding a little tiny baby on there and riding the bike. That mother needs to be pulled over and told to never do that again. If you want to have an accident, have it alone. Don't put babies on motorcycles. Hello. I, I, I said this to a motorcycle rider here a few months ago. I said, you know, you, I, I think there ought to be a law that little children shouldn't ride on a motorcycle. Oh, he said... Motorcycles are safe and they're okay. Well, it's not when you wreck. It's not if you wreck. It's when you wreck. You will wreck. There's a reason you wear leather jackets and a helmet. And I said to the guy, it'll be against the law for any baby to ride a motorcycle with its parent. If it's a law that we got to put our kids in a safety seat if it's a law we got to put our children in the back seat in a safety seat strapped down if it's a law we can't let babies ride in the front without proper seating and they have to be older to ride in the front then pray tell me why it would be proper for anyone to ride a child on a motorcycle now I'm done with my my little soapbox fit I don't agree with you. Well, you've been wrong before. And you'll probably be wrong again. If you don't believe that, just ask your wife. So we have easy come, easy go away. And what happened is Jesus went away. Then it got hard again. And when Jesus went away, then the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the apostles in the book of Acts, and Paul later on, all fasted. Why were they fasting? Because they're looking for him to come. Again. I'm looking for Jesus to come again. But until he gets here, physically, geographically, until he gets here literally to take us home, until he comes to planet Earth to take us home, until he gets here, there's going to be troubled times, and I'm going to fast. I need to fast. I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to plead with God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. Why? Because easy come, easy goes away. But one day, easy's coming back again, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let's go to another one. Verse 16 and 17, I've got a good title for this. No man putteth a piece of new cloth onto an old garment, for that which he puts in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and, and the rent is, or the tear is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. I want to give you a title for this, two verses. 
don't rip your pants or blow your mind. Hey, I got that straight from Jesus. Don't rip your pants or blow your mind. Jesus has given an illustration. He said, if you've, if you've got a hole in your pants or garment and you patch it with new garment and, and your pants are old or your garment's old and you patch it with a new garment, when you wash it, that new patch will shrink. Bam! Your pants fall apart. Amen. Don't rip your pants or blow your mind. Blow your mind is in verse 17. You don't take new wine and put it in old bottles. Because if you get new wine and put it in old bottles, the wine ferments, expands, and then the old bottles break. You put new wine into new bottles. So that when the new wine swells and the new bottles swell with it, everything's okay. And Jesus Christ is trying to tell us all, and the Pharisees and the scribes and the, John, the disciples of John the Baptist, Jesus is trying to tell them, I didn't come here to patch you. I didn't come here to band-aid you. I didn't come here to put a patch on your old life. I didn't come here to put a patch on your garment. And I didn't come here to give you old traditional things, old wine. I came here to give you something new that's going to explode the traditions of Judaism. I'm going to give you something that's going to swell and blow your mind. I'm going to give you something that's cause your mind to blow. God's a good God. God's a merciful God. God died on the cross of Calvary in in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is here. God went to the graveyard and rose again from the grave. And if that don't blow your heart wide open to Jesus Christ, I don't know what will. Jesus Christ is trying to tell us, I'm going to give you something. Don't rip your pants or blow your mind. And so Jesus Christ is trying to tell these Pharisees, your mind's going to blow up. If you don't accept the fact that I am the new wine, I am a new bottle, and I can give you a new bottle. I didn't come to patch you, didn't come to put a band aid on you, I didn't come to put old tradition and old ways in, in new bottles. I said, I, he said, I come to put new wine in new bottles, and that is the New Testament. Amen? Come on now. And by the way, Jesus Christ didn't come to patch any of us up. He came to give us a new bottle. Came to give us a new wine. He didn't come to put a patch on us. Didn't come to, didn't come to patch us up or soothe our wounds. He came to heal our wounds. He didn't come to soothe our guilt. He came to remove our guilt. He didn't come to uh, us to wrestle with our sin. He came to crush and remove our sins. He didn't come to patch us up. He came to make us brand new. He came to set us free from sin, set us free from death. He came to set us free. He did not come to patch us. He came to change us and give us a brand new life. 
And when people come to Jesus Christ, or at least they think they're coming to Jesus Christ, and they come and get just a patch, they're going to discover that they're trying too hard to be a Christian because they're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, Jesus will lead you into that walk. One of the sure tell one of the sure tell signs of a new convert, if they're not really new converts, if they're not really saved, one of the sure tell signs of a newborn child of God, even though they're not really truly born again, one of the sure signs is they're struggling with it. They can't deal with it. It's too hard. And that's why they wilt when the sun comes up and persecution arises. That's why the fowls of the air come and devour the seed. That's why the thorns choke out their life. And so if you're trying so hard to be a Christian and you just try and try and try and try, why don't you quit doing that and be a Christian? Why don't you go learn mercy? Why don't you go learn Jesus Christ? Because it's not about something, a turning over a new leaf. You can turn over the whole tree and still be lost. It's not about you trying to make God feel better about you. It's about you feeling better about God. And so one of the sure signs that a person's not really truly saved is when they're struggling with it and they can't deal with it. Why? Why? Because they're trying to live for God in their flesh. And you need a divine nature to live for God. And that divine nature comes through being born again. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. Well, I just come up here to the pulpit every Sunday morning to preach the truth. I'm not very tactful. I'm not very skillful. But you won't leave here wondering what I said. Honest to God, I went to churches and didn't have a clue what they said. I had to ask Judy for a dictionary when I got home. I couldn't even pronounce some of the words they used. We need just good old simple truth. And by the way, Jesus didn't come to patch up the world. He didn't come to patch the world. God knows that Washington, D.C. has got patches all over it. He didn't come to patch the world. He came to change the world. And when he comes, he's going to make a brand new world. He's not going to patch it. He's going to give us a new world. Amen? And one day, Jesus Christ is going to give me a new body. Because all the doctors do is put patches on this. Amen? Really, I'm serious. You know, they used to have a patch that you put on to help you quit smoking. Then they had a patch that they put on to help you with other addictions. I wish they'd come up with a patch that we can put on people that wakes them up for church every Sunday morning with an excited (laughs) desire to be in church. I'd buy a whole truckload of them if I could get them. I'd pat everybody on the back on their way out. (laughs) I'd go over to Walmart and just lick them, patch them, lick them, patch them, lick them, patch them. If we could get one to give them an urge to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Were you glad you came? 
It's such an honor to serve God. Such an honor to love God and serve God. And I'm so blessed to know that Jesus did not come to patch us. He came to give us a brand new life. And one day he's going to come and give us a brand new body. All the doctors do now is patch and medicate and patch and medicate. But one day when we get to heaven, you'll not see one patch on our new glorified body. Brand new. And the world's going to be brand new. But until then, we need a brand new spirit that's committed to the Lord. And that can only come through being born again by the Spirit of God. Amen? All that in these few verses. If you didn't catch my outline, let me read it to you real quick because you need to catch this. I mean, this is, this is Holy Ghost leadership right here. Fellowship or follow fellowship, feasting on God's love. Point number one. Matthew did that. Point number two, go learn your Bible. Don't say we don't learn, we teach. Don't do that. Point number three, easy come, easy goes away. Easy to come back. This is my favorite. Don't rip your pants or blow your mind. Amen? You say, you stole that off the internet. Shoot, there ain't nobody going to steal that outline. <laughs> Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. What an awesome God we serve. Now, I'm going to extend an invitation, and here's the invite. If you're struggling being a Christian, maybe you need to come down here and say, Lord, make sure that that's what I really am. Now, I didn't say you won't have struggles as a Christian. I'm not saying you won't have hard times as a Christian, but if you're struggling being a Christian, even that statement implies works. And if you're in that position, I want to invite you to come down here and say, God, I'm through trying. I want to believe. I want to learn what mercy means. I want to learn what forgiveness means. I want to learn to not live a life just covered in patches, but a new life, a new wine, a new bottle. Stand with me. We're going to give an invitation. I started a new series on Sunday night. The Crucified One will be preaching on that tonight. We've got a tent revival coming up, and I'm trusting that we'll have some hundredfold Christians that will do what I challenge you to do. And maybe some of you will be 60-fold, others 30. But I want to encourage you. We are out of time. The Lord's coming any moment. We're out of time. Do you hear me? We're out of time. The Lord's coming. It's high time. It is time that the Lord could come at any moment. So, well, I don't believe the Lord's going to come for another 100 years. You're the problem. You have a real problem with that. But I, I don't believe the Lord's going to come for many, many more years. We've got to see this and see that. What, you got, what do you have to see 
to see that the Lord's coming at any moment. Come on. It's obvious the Lord could come at any moment. So I, I think we got to go through the great tribulation. Shoot, I've been tripping for years. So I believe we got to go through the great tribulation, go through all this persecution, the wrath of God. Really? God took my wrath on his cross. So I believe we got to go through the great tribulation because God's going to pour out his wrath on the world. Yeah, on the world, not us. We're in the world, but we're going to be taken from the world and delivered. So I still believe the church has got to go through more persecution. Tell that to the millions of people that were burned at the stake in Rome centuries ago. Tell that to the millions that's killed overseas today by ISIS and beheaded by those because they honor Christ. Tell that there's more. Did you know there's more martyrs in the day we lived than there was even in the days of Paul? More martyrs now. We're just shielded in America. People are being killed. It don't hit the news because no one wants to talk about it. But people are being killed because they love Jesus. We're so blessed to be in America. Even with all its problems, we're so blessed to be in America. Now, I will admit to some of our leaders, I wish they'd be raptured down. But we are so blessed to be in America. Altar's open. Josh going to play and sing. Hope you enjoyed today. And don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock. But I'm going to extend the invitation for you to come. It's still early. It's not even 12 yet. You can come to this altar. You can ask God, God, give me ease. Give me more strength. Yeah, there's hard times as a Christian. Yes, there's persecution as a Christian. Yes, we're going to go through hard times. But please, if you're a babe in Christ, you've you got to experience that grace period. You've got to experience that period in which you were truly transformed by the power of God. And if you haven't experienced that, you need to experience that today. Altars open.